the Westlap Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gauspo. Oh, well, guys, um, we discussed at great length last episode uh, just this tremendous opportunity the Northwestern women's basketball team had uh, in the NIT championship game at Arizona. Um, wow. Uh, Arizona, they came out, the fans came out in that game and 14,000 strong packed the arena down there in Tucson and uh, the Arizona defense was just smothering and uh, Arizona wins that game 56-42 but uh, yeah, I mean, that just the atmosphere in there was insane. It was incredible. And I, you know, I, we, we talked a bit last week about how our women had gone on the road to some of these far flung, flung places and managed to win in front of like not, not hostile crowds, small crowds, but, but it was, it was almost like the, the idea of being, way off on the road in a, you know, oh, you're going to go to to West Virginia to lose. And they stepped up and said no. Well, this Arizona team was just another level, um, both from a talent standpoint and from from the, the fan support atmosphere. I, I don't – I can't imagine that our women's team has played in front of that type of audience all season. Um, maybe in many seasons. Uh, that it was, it was incredible. I guess Arizona holds the record um, – for uh for a women's a women's game potentially um that that definitely broke that game broke the record for Pac-12 um let's juxt- attendance but let's juxtapose two Texas won the men's NIT in Madison Square Garden in front of charitably 500 Texas fans <laughs> <laughs> Arizona won the women's NIT in front of close to 15,000 fans. Maybe it's a good idea to stay with this let all the teams host it all the way up model. Um, yeah, and to your point, like the it was certainly rough for our ladies, and I'm sure, right, like whatever the crowd, West Virginia tried it out, wasn't anything remotely close. On the other hand, our women's team can say that in April – they were playing a meaningful basketball game in front of close to 15,000 people. And when you talk about, you know, our young backcourt, that is, you know, this is a 21-win team that played into April and with, you know, an underclassman backcourt with real potential. And I think that's that's what's got me excited going forward. I mean, you, you look at the game, Lindsey Pulliam and Valerie Burton really was the offense for the Cats. Palace Kunai Akpana could not get it going. I mean, she only took two shots from the floor, um, four points, and you know, those were all from the stripe. Um, you know, the Arizona defense was just shutting things down inside. And, well, well you know, they they definitely targeted her. I mean, they doubled her a lot. Uh, I think it was Kate Reese on Arizona, um, who I thought was playing with quite a lot of wild abandon that was allowed to proceed um, on one end of the floor and then would, would draw fouls at an absurd rate at the other end of the floor. floor. But that's that's neither here nor there. Like, but their bigs just – their bigs targeted uh, Palace and shut her down, and then they just I felt like they had too much speed on the outside for the rest of our team to compensate. Yeah, it's funny to watch the juxtaposition of – I mean, we played zone pretty much the entire game, and they were playing a stifling man-to-man. I mean, I give them credit. It's a It's a – great defensive basketball team and I think that's what took them through this tournament I mean I think you know they've got really one solid scoring option and then and then a bunch of great defense because in addition to taking Palace out of the game Pulliam really had a tough time too um I mean they held her to what you know under 30 percent shooting um she still put up 14 points but I mean she had a rough go of it and, and it's interesting you know from a not a worrisome perspective, but a, an interesting perspective going forward. I mean, if this was the men's team, I would call it worrisome. But, like, I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer about a team that won 21 games and won five games in the women's NIT. It's just next year, um, Pulliam is just going to be this magnet. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, a really savvy on – we're going to have a really savvy on-ball um, 
sophomore point guard and a all Big Ten first team um, junior off ball shooting guard. And other teams are going to do everything they can to take Polium out of the game. And but I mean that's so you know other players are going to have to step up and and honestly raw talent is going to be enough for Polium to just pull through a lot of that. Um, but again, I, I keep coming back to the experience of this run, the experience to be played. And again, I road game or not, just playing in April when very few teams were um, still playing in front of this massive crowd in a really meaningful basketball game, I think is just going to be such a boost for this team going into next season. I mean, a lot of it, you know, the game itself came down to the second quarter where, you know, Arizona outscored Northwestern 14 to 5. Um, the other, the other three quarters, the game was really, really tight. Um, but you know, just, there were a lot of turnovers. It was, it was kind of a sloppy game. Um, and, and except for that second quarter, no one could really get on a run. And, you know, we weren't able to, to get on it, any run to try and cut it. Um, you know, especially late. Well, and what it, it, we talked a lot about, um, Ari McDonald, right. Coming into this game, um, it's interesting. The cats defended her primarily with Jordan Hamilton early on. And I thought they actually did a pretty good job. Like she ended up scoring, you know, 20 plus, um, only 19, only 19. Only 19. All right. So, but she was still, she was quite good. Um, but it, it, it felt like the cats had a good game plan for her. What, what she did that destroyed Northwestern was on the other end of the court in terms of, um, the number of steals and like she was just so fast like she could be on a player before they even knew she was she was coming and she's knocking the ball away left right and center I felt like in that second quarter it's like what we saw from the cats in the last you know five to six minutes of the West Virginia game and the Ohio game where they were just denying the opponent the opportunity to shoot the ball it felt like Arizona did that to us on a third of our possessions almost and now they turned the ball over quite a bit as well. A sloppy play to your point, Sam, but um, that that disruption it just like the, it, it felt like we couldn't overcome it given the other matchup issues we were having. Absolutely, and I think, and again, you know, from I don't don't not a negative perspective, but it will, you know, this team is going to have to figure out next year a way to make up for Kanai Akpana, who, I mean finishes with a, more than 1100 career rebounds she set the record i think by a good margin for nit rebound rebounds in a single nit tournament which considering she played six games and was you know double doubling every game is not too surprising um again not a huge scoring factor but between defense and rebounding you know a huge factor and between you know abby scheid and other players uh, are gonna have to step up and and make that up next season but it's hard not to just be uplifted and and promised. And, you know, I know we're going to go there in a little bit, but given the performance of some of the other women's teams, it's kind of just makes this amazing transition. Northwestern women's sports are doing really, really well right now. Um, we didn't expect that we were going to get this treat from the women's team, but uh, it's fantastic. And it, it has the effect of really kind of jazzing up this time of the year. Well, well, real quick before we move off of the, of the basketball squad, I just – you know, we, you mentioned the two guards, Burton and Pulliam. Um, Jordan Hamilton, uh, Sidney Wood, who uh, who was really really good as as a defender, um, who had come in off the bench. Uh, excellent. I, I think I think those guys were generally playing in the three, uh, the three spot. Maybe that uh, Wood was probably more subbing in for one of the guards. You know, Abby Shide being the three point specialist. Um, and then Abby Wolf, uh, who came in and, and played a bit at uh, at center, I would expect her to, to be the heir apparent to Palace. Uh, certainly going into next season, I thought she looked pretty good in spots. Um, she's a junior, so you know, presumably coming back for her senior year. And then we'll see what the what the re, what the incoming recruiting class uh, has to say for the for the squad next year. But we'll definitely be paying um, a bit of attention, you know, getting as we get into basketball season of of kind of setting the stage for where the squad uh, is headed and how, they, how they're looking. I, so the last thing I want to say, too, before we pivot off this, just in, in the interest of a pivot, too, just the one other thing. Having, again, because, I mean, we all would have loved to go see more women's basketball games this year, but they certainly were rarely, if ever, broadcast on TV. And sadly, that also applied to the WNIT. 
Um, for those of you who haven't had a chance to watch this team on TV um, or watch them in person, Lindsay Pulliam is worth the ticket just in herself. Um, this is someone who is going to be one of the better Northwestern female athletes um, that that certainly have come through in recent history. And just watching her out there, I guess the comparison would be like if Bryant McIntosh was 6'5 or 6'6 instead of being, what was he, 6'2", I guess. Um, that's what it's like to see a 5'10 woman's guard who can really handle and really shoot. Um it's just she is his shot has was never as prettier as hers. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's I mean, like her, her like shot, her, her shot when she's when oh, she's sure. in transition and running right. the break and, and it, pulls up is just pure gold. It's, it's gorgeous. Just, oh it is. And it's but I mean part of it's just that mixed with the size seeing someone who's that tall, and I mean I'm not saying she's super tall, but five ten is plenty tall for someone who's cat quick with really good handles and an awesome shot. And you just kind of the feeling of watching her play is like she would feel at home on UConn or on Baylor or on one of these teams. It's just you look at someone like that and you're like, oh, yeah, she's from that kind of mold. Um, And this is in kind of interest of where I think we're about to pivot. It is a rare time that Northwestern has two women's athletes who are this good at the same time. And Pulliam may not even be the best of the two. And that's kind of the scary thing. Yeah. So as we kind of look at some of the other uh, spring sports, um, you know, very, very good things happening up in Evanston. You know, we talked a little bit about softball, talked a little bit about lacrosse. Um, you know, baseball's looking better and better. But I, I think we should really, you know, kind of touch on and congratulate uh, the Drohan sisters for. 600 career wins Hua. Uh, for you know, for softball. I mean, that's that's tremendous. And, you know, getting that this past uh, few days ago is, is huge. And just the way this softball team has been playing, Danielle Williams, I mean, whew, <laughs> I she, think her face, wow. if, if they were, if her face is on the cake that I hope they got for 600 wins, what a, what a gift. What a reward for 600 career wins than uh, a freshman like Danielle Williams. Whoa, Nelly. Um, she, so again, we, we've nibbled around the edges of this before. Um, and we've certainly talked about women's softball as much as anyone has, you know, to this point. But it's important for everybody to know that we are a team that is not in the top 50 offensively in any category that's not to say we are a bad offensive team there are just some offensive teams in women's softball who slug it at a ridiculous rate we're fine uh, and we have a couple of hitters who are decent the reason we are and scuzz and i were talking about this earlier a top 25 team in most of the available polls um, and 17th in rpi right now is because we have a freshman who is second in the nation in shutouts third in the nation in strikeout-to-walk ratio, fifth in the nation in ERA wins and walks per seven innings, and 11th in the nation in hits allowed per seven innings. She is one of the 25 best players in women's softball. She's a freshman, and she is carrying our team to a top 25 ranking in the nation. It is, it's staggering. She's the potential of what her Northwestern career is going to look like is mind blowing. Yeah, she, I mean, she's spectacular. And I, you know, what's interesting is we're starting to see, especially here in conference play in which the cats remain undefeated. Um, <laughs> we're seeing the, the rest of the pitching staff really perform uh, excellently as well. Um, that was something we talked about early on, you know, the, uh, the other starter opposite Williams has been, has been strong. Uh, the relief is strong. I think they've even added a third, a third player into the mix now. But what's interesting, John, you mentioned the rankings and this is where like, this is, this is a timely podcast. Um, because Northwestern, uh, the, I think they're 23rd in one poll, uh, 17th in the RPI. Like you mentioned, John, they're not in the, um, the USA today poll. I, th- I think they're one of the schools getting votes. But a school that is generally a couple slots ahead of Northwestern in most of these spots is Wisconsin. And we have three games against them this weekend uh, in Evanston. 
an opportunity for Northwestern to make a huge mark uh, and statement. They've dominated Big Ten competition to date. That Big Ten competition, I think Nebraska. Um, who who else was on the on the list there uh, that they beat these last couple of weeks? So Nebraska, Iowa, and um, Rutgers. Yeah, Rutgers. They had, and a game, one game against Indiana. Um, Indiana was was ranked when we played them. Those other teams not very highly regarded. The Iowa games were in Iowa, and and we kicked the crap out of Iowa. Let's be clear. Um, gave up two runs in the three games uh, stand. Yeah, and scored seventeen. Um, this Wisconsin. This is a big deal playing Wisconsin uh, at at this stage. You know, we're going to have Purdue and Michigan State after that. Uh, one one game against Illinois as well. Two. Be- it's be- a double before- header. Oh, it's a doubleheader. Oh, there you go. Before a really big test the first week in, in May at Minnesota, who's uh, I believe a top fifteen team right now. But um, but this is a, this this weekend's a great building block. It, it's it's in Evanston. Um, we 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 can't yell loud enough about the fact that this is happening and the opportunity that that that, that the squad has uh, this weekend to make a statement in a meaningful matchup. So I want to provide a little bit more context too, because obviously, I mean, I I. I assume that a lot of you who are chiefly listened to us for uh, ba- for football with a side of basketball may not have a heck of a lot of reference points. I'm sure a lot of you have certainly noticed that we've talked about it before, that when you look at the powerhouse women's softball teams, they tend to be located either in the South or on the West Coast. And we've talked about that before. The top 25 polls um, totally represent that. And then it, so then it kind of comes, well, okay, so how does this team slot in when you compare it to, um, these other teams, these juggernaut teams? And basically the short of it is, um, I think Sam or Scott alluded to it earlier. In addition to Williams, um, Kenna Wilkie is a very solid pitcher. Um, she's giving up, she has an ERA of 2.58. She's eight and two. Um, she's part of the reason that the pitching staff overall, I think is sixth in the country in ERA. If you look at our offense, we've talked about these ladies before, but Nikki Cuckran and Jordan Rudd, who are both freshmen, um, are both slugging over 500. Um, they both are, are hitting for power, hitting for average in the mid three hundreds. And there are, you know, three or four other women's players who are hitting pretty well too. The difference is, for example, <laughs> There, three different SEC teams have one girl slugging over one right now. Some of these teams have girls that absolutely rake it. Um, I think there's a girl right now with 60 home runs to this point in the season. Some of these, what? Yeah, some of these teams absolutely crush the ball. That is the difference. With that said, Williams is pitching as well as all but maybe two other women in the nation right now. Um, and because of that, and because of Wilkie's support, um, that is why we're a top 25 team. So in case you're wondering, our offense is fine. And in the Big Ten, our offense is totally middle of the ro- middle of the conference. It's just when you get into the SEC and you get into the Pac-12, there are these teams that are, and also random other teams like, SC upstate and a couple places I've never even heard of um, where there are girls just hammering the ball. Um, but defensively, we're also 35th in the country, a respectable 35th in fielding percentage with unbelievable pitching. This is maybe unprecedented Northwestern pitching and that's what's doing it. So, I mean, it's like the offense is fine. The pitching is stratospherically good. And that's why this team is where it is. So that's where we stack up nationally. It's a pretty awesome place to be. I'm trying to think back to uh, it was several years ago when when the Cats made the Women's World Series and I were actually playing in the championship game. Um, I, I feel like, also against Arizona. Was it Arizona or was it Tennessee? Uh, I believe we beat Tennessee to play Arizona oh, okay. in, the, okay. in the championship. Yep. Um, but that, that year was really predicated on, I mean, there was some amazing pitching that year too, right? Yeah. We had two, two stud pitchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so, and, and, you know, and you, you pull a lot of similarities between, you know, that team and this team. Absolutely. And I'm sure the Drohans would be, you know, the first to 
pull out any number of their 600 wins and say, look, you know, we can go down the line and tell you all the great players we've had at different times and everything. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there's a reason they have 600 wins, but, um, but this, but this team right now, again, it's the other thing to remember too is, like I said, we have a pair of freshman hitters who are very good. They're not unbelievably good. Like some of the players on some of these sec teams, um, but they're very good and they're freshmen. So it's like, are they going to get better? Is Williams going to get better? Heaven help us if Williams gets better. Um, we're, we starting looking at an all time Northwestern career. Um, but, but yeah, this team is, you know, as you said, Scuzz, I think a little bit less love in some of the polls, but we're 17th in the RPI right now. And yeah, like you said, if this Wisconsin series goes well, we could be looking at a, at another jump. When you talked about the, the big teams from out west and down south and, we do have three, you know, meaningful data points um, playing those teams directly. So we have two pretty, pretty tough losses to Oklahoma. The Cats got shut out in both of them. Um, Oklahoma scored seven and eight runs. But we've also got a, a really tight 3-1 loss against Washington. Those two teams are both in the top five right now. Um, so there's, there's no reason, I mean, given that Washington result, I don't think there's any reason f- to think that we can't hang certainly with with squads uh you know up into the 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 top five um whether we can do it consistently is a question but i mean i think you know targeting a big 10 championship this year trying to knock off you know minnesota slash michigan who have who've kind of been on top of that perch for for quite a while that to me is kind of the goal and what you know excellent would look like this season so um but given you know john you've talked about it over and over again given the freshman talent on this team on on both sides of the ball you know th- this is something to to build from like if they don't get there this year that's a, that's okay they're going to bring back a lot next season and the season after oh yes uh, shall we turn our attention to lacrosse for a little bit? <laughs> now that we've talked about a team that's really good at defense, can we talk about a team that just ignores defense? <laughs> <laughs> they don't ignore it. Their, their strategy is to not need it. The, Link, the Lincoln Riley school, yes, of, of scoring. Yeah, women's lacrosse is just scoring goals in buckets. Um, going on the road to Johns Hopkins winning 20-13. to 13, Beating number five Penn at home, seventeen thirteen. Uh, Penn State nineteen eleven. Marquette twenty four to four. Not that you know Marquette is in the same conversation with uh, some of those other schools, but you know even a game against number one Boston College when they lost twenty two seventeen, they're putting the ball in the net, and you know these ladies are just scoring like crazy, like it's going out of style. Yeah, I think Selena Lasota is pacing the Cats with four goals a game. But this is, again, this is a team that is not top 50 in the nation in defense and is number one in offense. Um, as a team, the Cats are putting up 35 shots a game and 75% of those are on target. I can only imagine the bruises that a goalkeeper has to deal with after playing the Cats. Um just uh, a, an absolutely blistering pace. Um, and the funny thing is, Lasota is, it's basically what I think a, a triumvirate or a group of players, Selena Lasota, Izzy Skane, Lindsay McCone, um, and Lauren Gilbert. Um, again, we have seven players in double figures in terms of goals, but those four players are absolutely hammering the goal. Well, the, the the one to highlight right now is Easy Skane, who is a freshman, and um, early on, I and I I, forget, I think I, I forget which game I was watching. Um, it wasn't John Johns Hopkins; it was prior to that. But um, they were talking about how the Cats have started to use her more offensively because she's so good. Like she wasn't she wasn't often um, in the scoring circle early on in the year, and and that's evidenced by the fact that she scored no more than two goals. Uh, again, in the first one, two, three, four, five, six games, but starting with the Rutgers game, uh, well, actually, yeah, starting with the Rutgers game, six goals, five at Marquette, four against Penn State, four against Penn, four against Johns Hopkins. She's getting involved much, much more. She's got a, a fantastic shot percentage, and is and is a excellent bolster to what we already had going with Lasota and and McCone. And and it feels like we talked about this again maybe two pods ago that. It feels like Northwestern's offense kind of kind of cranked it up, um, you know, 
certainly the competition they were playing matters as well, you know, North Carolina, you know, et cetera. But uh, it seems like they kind of cranked things up maybe four, four or so weeks into the season. They just seem to get more intense on offense. I think using Skane in that role has really, has really accentuated that. Yeah, it's, I mean, this, this team is what, two more scheduled home games, I think, both of them scheduled for Martin Stadium, but I think tomorrow the weather's supposed to be garbage. I know the Penn game was moved inside. Um, I've got to think the Maryland game tomorrow is going to be at in inside Ryan Fieldhouse. I don't know for sure, but um, it's there's not a much more exciting ticket in the country right now. And and again, it's like I said, it's the Lincoln Riley school of winning. Maryland and Michigan may come in and pour in goals, but you know. They can score 24 and we can score 25 and that still goes in the win column. And that seems to be the strategy right now. And it's certainly working. So, um, they're, they are loaded for bear right now. Cats are sitting at sixth, um, in the inside lacrosse pole right now. Uh, RPI, they're a little bit lower at 10th, but, um, you know, they, they look pretty good. That, that win over Penn was big. That was a really big deal because they had come very close against, several top top flight opponents previously right north carolina boston college um to be able to knock off penn and do it in in pretty solid fashion um to to the tune of 17 13 you know that that was a that was a big deal penn was number five they came back you know a week later and knocked off another ranked team in johns hopkins on the road really dominated the second half of that game i think they were close to tied at halftime and then just ran away with it so maryland's up next that's happening tomorrow. So by the time this pod goes, uh, that game will probably already be uh, started or gone. But um, they, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And then coming back the week after uh, with a game against number eight ranked Michigan, uh, also in Evanston, finishing off the regular season at Notre Dame, ranked number six, and then in Columbus against Ohio State before going out to Johns Hopkins for the Big Ten tournament. Um. You've got to, you've got to figure that you know when they hit the NCAA tournament, they're we're gonna get, we're gonna see some home games. Just it, it's ridiculous to not play games at Martin Stadium. You know, not to not go play on the lake. It, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to not play in our second best lacrosse field. We've... Very true. Very true. <laughs> They, our schedule, they, our schedule is so hard. It's, I mean, it's conceivable we could end the year with with seven losses, um, which like re- record overall would be uh, like maybe twelve and twelve and seven or eleven and seven. Like that, that doesn't seem that good. But then you got to remember we've played number one. We will have played number one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> At, and, at some point, <laughs> and I mean, and I mean, this team's got to win over right three ranked teams right now. Five, sixteen, seventeen, a one point loss to the number seven team in the country, Syracuse, um, mm-hmm. and played Boston College super tight. So, I mean, again, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's like a heck of a lot's going to ride in these next three games, but um, it could go. I mean, Maryland and Notre Dame are both top ten offensive and defensive teams in the country, but pff, whatever. Screw your defense. We just <laughs> we just outscore everybody. That's how we get it done. Um, and you know that's that's going to be the game plan. It's a clear identity. We're going to try to blister the net against those three teams, and we'll see what happens. Well, where should we go next? Um, let, let's bring it back to the diamond and, and go to the men's side. Talk a little uh, baseball. Um, you know, baseball's gotten back to five hundred. You know, they had a bit of a rough start early, but has, has come back. You know, real strong. And, uh, you know, you guys had some, some thoughts about, uh, some of these baseball guys. Yeah, I was, I was kind of partly because of the rewatchables, uh, on the ringer were doing, uh, major league today that I was kind of thinking, kind of my, my thought about these guys is that, you know, the part where he's like, these guys aren't so bad. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, self edit, self editing there. Yeah, a little self editing. And, and not to throw shade either. This is a team that's won nine of its last 10 games. Um, it's it's interesting to juxtapose, and again, it's like coming out of the talking about the lacrosse team um, and the the softball team. It's not that level of success, but um, basically, what you get with this team is 
you dig into the stats, it's the profile of a team that is kind of decent. It's not amazing. The pitching is kind of holding us back a little bit right now. Um, this is a team without a real surefire ace. Um, we've got a bunch of guys who, you know, I think our leader in starts is Quinn Lavelle. He's got an ERA of four right now. Um, and that is pretty indicative of the overall battery as a whole. This is not a team that is a great pitching team. What we do have uh, are three or four guys who can hit it. Um, the the Dunn brothers, Jack, who is a senior, and David, who is a freshman, are both batting well over 300. Um, you've got Alex Arrows also batting over 300. And Willie Bourbon, senior, who, again, we've mentioned this before, was Cam Green's quarterback at Stevenson High School. Um, and when Cam came here to play football, Willie came here to play baseball. He's kind of one of the leaders of the team right now. He's only batting 255, but he's really hitting for power um, all over the plate. He's, you know, I think one of the leaders in extra base hits and home runs. He's leading the team in slugging percentage right now. And between those four guys, basically, um, and I think like Sean Gusenberg too, you've got really a bunch of guys who are hitting pretty well. And they're hitting well enough to basically make up for the pitching and you've got a team that is pulled back to 500 started slow but has kind of found its bats and again it's it's not a team that is going to be blowing people away because i think the limitations on the mound but this is a team that definitely can hit and that i think is gonna keep them i i would think winning as many as they're losing going forward yeah so it is interesting john you mentioned they've won what nine of their last ten um prior to that they were sitting at five and ten they had, had a really rough Rough go of it. Got swept at Missouri. Um, lost two of three to Purdue in their in their kind of home conference opener. Um, did get a, a you know a good a good one good win against Duke, but lost uh, the other two games in a doubleheader. So you know some early season, obviously really tough tough sledding early season. Um, the the pitching like no one really stands out on the pitching staff except for a couple of relievers. Um, Nick Pekarek and uh, Anthony Alepra um, are both sub three on ERA uh, with double digit appearances, but no starts. So we're clearly, you know, our starting pitching, um, to your point, is is definitely a little bit of a of a, of a hole back there. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I, you know, looking at I'm 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 perusing the the RPI here because I think it's kind of interesting to, to begin with. Um, Illinois is actually the best, the best in the conference. Interestingly, um, in the top twenty-five in most, uh, in in a number of cases, I think around twenty-two RPI. Uh, Northwestern is sitting a little bit below the the midpoint of of the Big Ten squads, but the Big Ten is Big Ten's not great. And we've you know we have talked about this in the past. The idea that um, the uh, the northern schools in baseball really suffer. So I, I wanted to play a little bit of a geography game. Um, of how many how many teams are farther north than Illinois that are in the top, that are ranked above them? <laughs> Interesting. I like. You want to throw out a number? I I yeah. can, I'll say two. I feel like two might even be generous. I'll, I'll go. I'll go three. Just you know, Price is Right style. Nah, it's just one. Oh no, <laughs> it's, it's it's Creighton. Creighton's the only the only team north of um, Champaign, Illinois. Uh, assuming that Creighton is in the is in the upper two thirds of Nebraska, I don't actually know where where it where it exists. Um, other squads like north of the Mason Dixon line include Louisville and West Virginia, and that's literally it. Everything else is ACC, SEC. Um, and not and not in the state of Virginia, like in the Carolinas uh, and and South. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's tough sledding for uh, for these teams from the north. But um, you know, who knows? May, you know, maybe the Cats can have, have found something here. They've, you know, they've got some some emergers uh, potentially as as young players. You mentioned uh, David Dunn, John, and that's you know that they 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 swept Ohio State in Columbus um, last week. Uh, Ohio State is currently ranked as like the worst squad in the big 10, but um, they've got a series against Maryland coming up uh, this weekend. And then, you know, it's, it's some big, some bigger hitters, Michigan uh, coming to town. Um, they don't, they don't play. looks like they don't play Illinois um, or Indiana during the year, which is 
kind of interesting and weird that Indiana is number two in the Big Ten right now from an RPI perspective. So who knows? I, I mean, this is another one where, like, we're not, you know, we're not asking for College World Series here. We just, you know, make let's just make some noise and see what happens. Yeah, I, the one thing I wanted to add about Dunn, which is interesting, only the new NCAA rules I mean for all of us, we're all sitting, you know, with all of Northwestern's true freshman football players last year, right? Counting the amount of games. All right. You know, got to keep it under four, right? Like four being the magic number to be like, all right, you know, you can have four without burning the red shirt under the, the new rules. Well, last year, David Dunn hit 327 in 10 games as a true freshman and then got hurt and was able to redshirt that whole year. So he is a redshirt freshman right now who hit 327 for us last year. So that's a, a nice little bounce that worked out our way. And that, uh, they're just they're just manipulating service time. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, whatever you got to do to make it work. Um but uh we're looking at four strong four four hopefully strong years of him. So, yeah, spring sports fun this year. Uh, boy, between the, the NIT run and the spring sports, it's really helping to get us some of that bad winter taste out of all of our mouths, I feel like. And, you know, also good good things to talk about with tennis and golf. Both are you know, playing really, really well. I mean, tennis was ranked up until uh, this past weekend. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's good times in the spring sports for, for Northwestern. Before we get out of here, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, uh, the championship game, Virginia beating Texas Tech um, in a game that was much more exciting than I think anyone really thought it would be going into that game. Um, back and forth. I mean, that was that was just amazing. And then you know, going to overtime and you know, Texas Tech right there and then just a weird kind of reversal on a just a, a really 50-50 just by looking at it out of bounds play you know did the guys fingers graze it or not and you know with the way that they're going to the replay to like slow everything down um you know given the ball to Virginia there and they were able to just shoot free throws to put it out of reach but uh that that was a fun game I, I, I laugh because like this happens all the time where where um talking heads get all bent out of shape but oh this this is gonna be so boring first team to 40 wins like that sort of and it's, it never happens that way like instead what happens is like the two teams you think are gonna be in a shootout come out and it's brick city for the first 10 minutes I remember that happening in a championship a few years yep. ago so I like I, you know this was a fun tournament um it was exciting to have two teams in the final that have never won it or, or yeah, that have never won it. Um, I always, I always love that. It was, um, it was cool. It was fun to see different teams in there. I mean, this, we've been talking with our, with our, uh, buds from the, uh, from the winning cures, everything podcast, just about how much we love the, the run of Texas tech and their coach, Chris beard and theorizing, you know, if he's going to go somewhere else or where that might be, et cetera. But, um, but this was really fun uh, to to watch, uh, and as a result, um, for the first time ever, I get to claim that I won something, and that's that I won that won our tournament challenge, um, mostly on the back of having picked Virginia. Sammy, you came in a very very close second. Yeah, so, no, I, 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 get, was, I was psyched to at least have the winner. You know, it's like you know, I, you didn't get the upsets, you didn't get the the early rounds, but you had the winner. That means your logic was right. To have, well, and to, you know, going back to our pre-tourney pod with Scott Sepich, it's if all the pools that I'm involved with, for all the noise of the first couple of rounds, the whole top 10 is just people who picked Virginia. It's just like it all. And in our pool, you know, you two, the only guys who picked Virginia and if everything else that I'm in, it's just the ultimately you either pick the national champion or you don't. Um, and then. You have to pick the national champion and then have a better overall record than everybody else who picked the national champion. But um, it was a fun turn, and it and it was so unlike just about any tourney I can remember. In that the first couple of rounds were so lousy, and then things got so good from that point on that I think in years to come this will be the year that anyone cites any time the first weekend is garbage. 
everyone is always going to be like, well, remember the year Virginia and Texas Tech? The games got really good from that point on. And it's like, well, let's hope that that keeps happening. Now, I'm not giving up my upsets. I still want to see some nice upsets. But given that we didn't get that, it was nice to have a nice finish. See, I didn't think the first weekend was bad. I just, I think there were a lot of, I think there were a bunch of close games. There were just no big upsets. So from like, from a watching basketball standpoint, I thought it was entertaining. There just, there were, there weren't any of the crazy buzzer beater, you know, Dickie V loses his, his, his shirt type moments where everybody goes crazy. Like there, there wasn't like a, you know, a break Twitter moment, but it was, it was still entertaining. And good point. And it just wasn't the cla- games were good. It wasn't classically entertaining. Yeah. Cause we also had Zion yeah. going bananas. John Morant going bananas. Like oh, John right. Morant. Oh, John Morant. He's, he's going to be great at the next level. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Made himself some money. Yeah. The, the John Morant, RJ Barrett discussion, not really looking like too much of a discussion right now. I think. Uh, no, no. John, John made himself some money. <laughs> Um, I, I also should we talk about the other final four? Absolutely, the, the, the women's. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I mean, what you know, what a game! What two like all all the I, games? Yeah, all all three. Yeah, I mean, just you know the you know Notre Dame and Baylor. Just what I mean, I, I didn't get to see a lot of it, but wow, that that was an amazing final, and then just both of the both the semis were great. You know, seeing Notre Dame take out UConn was just, I mean, UConn has really kind of turned into the, the Yankees of women's basketball, <laughs> women's college basketball. I mean, I, I, I know that I was, you know, personally, I was in team UConn when it came to the UConn Tennessee rivalry with uh, Gino and Pat Summit. But, uh, since UConn has kind of turned into this massive behemoth, it's, it was really cool to see, uh, Notre Dame knock them off. And you know those two teams just hate each other. It's it, they do. The, it's the cool hand, to see that kind of hatred. The quote really unquote fun. handshake between Muffet McGraw and Gino after the game just amazing. <laughs> but fo- followed up shortly by her doing the Irish jig right. uh, on the floor in in high heels. Um, I just does it does it feel like. So people have have long made the comparison of the UConn run to the UCLA run with John Wooden back in the day, which coming out of that beget an era of, you know, I would argue some storied rivalries and these other programs start to emerge in college basketball. You've got the Dean Smith, North Carolina era. Um, You start to get you start to get some of these these big coaching rivalries. I mean, it feels like women's basketball is in an analogous spot right now where the UConn domination is over. Not 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 to say that they couldn't, you know, they restock with with arguably the top player in the country every year, but with the departure of Brianna Stewart, um to, you know, after was that last season or two year two years ago after winning four straight national championships, um the, their team is still extremely good, but there are at least five or six other extremely good teams, um, and that that hasn't been true during during the course of their of their of their massive run. You know, you had you had Baylor that popped up for a while with Brittany Griner, but she was such a a, a unique player that stood out, um, literally stood out on the court. <laughs> that uh, th- th- like like this is different now. When you look at when you look at Notre Dame, I mean. Arika Ogumbawale is an amazing player, an incredible athlete to watch. Um, and what's, what's shocking is she was the number five pick in the WNBA draft. Yeah, I you know I I don't know um, I don't know how her game translates to the WNBA, but like like so good to watch, but but not a player that stands out. At, you know, not not like the seven foot two griner right who who could just completely change games on her own Aguba Wale is changing the game in a, a I'll say a traditional basketball role as as a uh as a shooting guard that like these teams are just constructed really well um you look at the athletic plays that, that they're able to make the layup that Chloe Jackson made 
to win the national championship game, you know, just getting under the art, the outstretched arm of Brianna Turner, trying to block it for Notre Dame. Like, like this is, if, if you're not watching this basketball, you have to start watching this basketball because it is really good and it is really compelling. And, you know, women's hoops has gotten a bad rap in the past of, you know, Oh, well they're not, you know, it's not like the men's game. It's not as exciting, et cetera, et cetera. That is not true. Like, let's just, let's just be clear about it. It's not true. These three games are all the evidence you need. Baylor, Oregon was super tight. UConn, Notre Dame was, was another classic in that rivalry. And then the championship was, you know, a, a a game that Baylor stretched out to a pretty sizable lead and Notre Dame reeled them back in. I mean, this is, it is, it is compelling, uh, captivating, uh, sports television. And if you missed it this year, good grief, get it, get on board next year. Yeah, it was, I mean, the drama too of Lauren Cox getting hurt midway through the game and then, you know, Notre Dame rallying and then the, I mean, Holly Rowe, who was courtside, got an unbelievable video of just them winning, um, Kim Mulkey's reaction to them winning, and then a quick pivot to a crying Cox and Kalani Brown running over in like the Twin Towers, like hugging. I mean, it was, it was amazing drama. And then, you know, to everything stacked on top of everything you just said, Scuzz, uh, Fran Bellaby or Belibi, the greatest dunker in the history of women's basketball is coming into women's basketball next year for Stanford. Uh, and, you know, she won that high school dunk contest with some pretty sick dunks. Um, not like, oh, look, a girl can dunk dunks, but like, like hot damn dunks. So yeah, it's, it's good time for women's hoops for sure. Um, one other final four bracket we should probably discuss, um, briefly, briefly, but, uh, the frozen four happening this weekend. Um, you got, Minnesota Duluth taking on Providence, UMass versus Denver. Uh, that that's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Did we talk it's, about this it's last always, week? We talked about it um, two weeks. Ago. Well, no, we talked about it last week because um, last week we were coming off of the uh, of the first and second rounds of that tournament. But what's what's always funny is that tournament situates itself so that its first and second rounds happen the weekend prior to the final four. They don't do anything on Final Four weekend. They they literally take two weeks off, and then they come back the weekend after, which is smart, right? Like like hockey wouldn't get as much, um, nearly as much attention if it if it was happening concurrently with with the Final Four. Um, but it it always it always makes me chuckle because you know obviously we we talked about it. We I I do this little pool. It's a lot of fun, um, and it's I I'm like going crazy on hockey for three days and then literally go 100% dark on it for 10 days before coming back around and getting ready for, um, Friday's, uh, semifinals and Sunday's final. I, th- I think it's, or is it, no, it's, no, it's tomorrow. It starts tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Thursday. Yeah. It's Thursday, Saturday. This, this sport, unlike other stupid sports that the NCAA manages, uh, has its championship on a Saturday, which makes sense. Good grief. Um, that's another. That's a rant for another day. But uh, but yeah, there should be some fun hockey. Very very defensive oriented teams. Um, well, I, it, it, I, th- I some analysis I I read. You know, you got Minnesota Duluth and Denver great defensively. Providence and UMass really like to play a more offensive style. So you could get a championship game of any any of that mix. It could be uh, Duluth versus Denver, just a titanic defensive battle. Providence versus UMass would be you know high flying. And then, you know, it could be a mixture of the two, you know, depending on how the, how the semis go tomorrow. Providence ain't winning. Whatever, man. I'm riding Providence and UMass all the way, all the way to glory. (laughs) Glory, that has an R in it. I think you need to read (laughs) (laughs) it. So wicked hardcore awesomeness. Glory, glory. How do you even say glory in a Boston accent? That was Scottish, my friend. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. You know, <laughs> we not so we and friggin' huge. So yeah, I mean, definitely looking forward to Frozen Four hockey. The NHL playoffs started tonight, and then you know, this is just if if you are in any way interested in hockey, now is the time to start watching because oh my goodness, uh, playoff hockey. There is there is nothing better than playoff hockey. Honestly, I mean, just. It's so true. You know, the regular season can really drag on a little bit, but 
you get to the playoffs and it just cranks up to the next level. And, you know, that overtime is going three, four, five OTs and just the, the level of intensity is insane. And, you know, just even tonight looking at, uh, you know, Tampa going, going up three nothing over Columbus, you know, in a game that, you know, Tampa was just a juggernaut in the regular season. Um, you know, won the president's trophy with, weeks to play left in the season. I mean, they were clearly the best regular season team, but they blew a three goal lead to Columbus and they're now down one, nothing in their series. That's just mind boggling. One, one underrated reason for why hockey is so great. Um, and I just, I was just in my head mentally comparing it to, to basketball in particular, but this is true for football as well. And then the, the doldrums of baseball is just another another level altogether. But um, teams in hockey only have one timeout. Period. That mean that means that generally at the end of the game, buckle up, baby. Especially in in uh, the playoffs when it's usually a, a tight game, it's a one goal game. Um, buckle up. It is so it is so fast and it's so much fun. And like, who cares if you can't see the puck? It's like dudes are flying around and then they score and they go crazy or they hit the crap out of each other on the boards. Like it's good times. People throw, people throw catfish on the ice. What, what, <laughs> what's not to like. So yeah, I mean, watch hockey, please. Cause it's so much fun. Watch women's basketball. Watch hockey. I think, yeah, those, I think that's the big takeaway for, for tonight. And go, uh, go, uh, get, get to yourself to the softball games this weekend. Yes. Those are the three takeaways. So let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazba and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.